All right, so this week we're continuing our sermon series that we're calling Jesus the Christ. Just trust me. Um, and we're looking at, um, this week I'm, I'm, I want us to consider Jesus and his, his radicalness. Jesus as a radical. And for us to jump into that topic, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 6, and we're going to hear some of these words that Jesus says in a sermon, beginning in verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, boy, what a great way to start that, isn't it? But to you who are willing to listen, can I pause there for a second? There's a, gr- there's, a, there's a group of people that have gathered together with the understanding that what they're there to do is to learn from Jesus. And he realizes that not everybody that has gathered is actually willing to listen. But to you who are willing to listen, I say... Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you, would have, as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, Why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more. Running over, and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. Once again, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to be able to gather together with family and friends and loved ones to worship you. And we, we pray that we are those who are willing to listen.
So help us to hear. And that through our hearing, we might be transformed into the people that you've called and created us to be. People who partner with you in the ushering of, of the kingdom of heaven. I pray this morning for a clarity of thought so that when I speak, it, it be the words that you might have us hear today. And that you might hide me behind your cross so that we can experience your grace, your mercy, your love, your joy, your justice, and your righteousness. We pray all these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So I've got a couple quotes here, and I wasn't sure which one to start with. I think I'm going to start with this one. So uh, this is written uh, by Gary Wills. He writes this, and, and he's, what he's doing is he's reflecting on the words of Jesus. He writes, Tremendous ingenuity has been expended to compromise these uncompromising words. Jesus is too much for us. The church's latter treatment of the Gospels is one long effort to rescue Jesus from his extremism. You want me to read that one again? Okay, here it is. Tremendous ingenuity has been expended to compromise these uncompromising words. Jesus is too much for us. The church's latter treatment of the Gospels is one long effort to rescue Jesus from his extremism. Are we preaching yet? And I haven't done anything. All I've done is read a quote. Now, what I want to do is I want to figure out how I can dismiss Gary Will's words. But I think to myself, how many commentaries have I read? How many books have I read? How many sermons have I preached trying to do that very thing? Trying to tame Jesus, if you will. I'm trying to make Jesus a little more, oh, I don't know, pal palpable? Is that the word I'm looking for? Palatable. That's the word I'm looking for, palatable. A little more palatable. If we took Jesus seriously, and we realize that Jesus is a radical, that he is extreme, we may understand more why he was crucified. So, for example, right, Jesus had radical views on wealth. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Uh, he says things like, it is easier for uh, a camel to go, to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into heaven. That's, that's pretty radical. He tells the rich young ruler that comes to him and asks, what do I need to do? He tells him, just go sell everything you own, and then you can follow me. Um, 
And, uh, and I just did a sermon not too long ago where I talked about what's the thing that has you that would keep you from following Jesus, right? And so in a way, I really did try to water that down a little bit and make it more palatable. We do that. Well, at least I do. And so you can pray for me. But he has a lot of things to say about wealth. And, and through the Gospels, you, you can see that, right? It's not like just unique to one Gospel. It's in all of them. And it seems to be something that the early ch- church took very seriously. You have the, like the, there's a story, right, about a couple that they tell the disciples, yeah, we sold everything and we gave it to the church. Go back and read in the book of Acts what happens to that couple when they lie about that. And we take that and we're like, well, it wasn't really about the money. Well, maybe not. But we can't dismiss the fact that it has something to do with it. And so the Gospels make it clear that riches are the enemy of the Spirit. But then the Gospels raise an even more urgent warning against power. I almost feel like wealth is just where it starts, right? From there, because a lot of times wealth and power go hand in hand. Because then Jesus starts to talk about this idea of power. Especially, he speaks out a lot against spiritual power and spiritual abuse. He talks about that a lot. In fact, he saves some of his most damning comments for the religious leaders of his time. Screaming about how they're whitewashed tombs. Or screaming about how they take their rules and they just put them on people and put them on people and put them on people until they've given them a burden heavier than the one that they were carrying when they first came to God. And if Jesus, right, is opposed to to wealth and power, what about his opposition to hierarchy? And and his position on equality. Jesus is a radical egalitarian. Radical egalitarian. And, And again, go back to the early, like read the book of Acts. The early church apparently took this pretty seriously. And they they created the most egalitarian earthly society that had been in existence at that point. The the sharing of everything, including uh, wealth and power. And, And the interesting thing, too, then, is we want to go back and we want to domesticate his views on wealth. We want to domesticate his views on power and then we want to um, actually almost flip on its head his positions on, um, on like, hierarchy. And, and we have developed hierarchy. And then there are, there are some that, would, that have gone, like, completely opposite direction. And, like, somehow men are, 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 should be in positions of authority where women shouldn't be. Like, that, that goes against everything that was taught, right? The fact that I'm um, standing up here and I'm wearing a robe and that somehow differentiates me from you, is a, that's actually a problem. 
that I think, I think that Jesus and Paul might want to talk a little bit about to me. So if he opposes wealth, he opposes power, he opposes hierarchy, I would also include distinctions, right? And you can see that in the writing of Paul. Like the moment we start saying, well, this is, you know, that, that you're, you're a little different than me because of this, or you're a little different than me because of that. Well, you know, yeah, we both may be, um, we, both, we both may live in Mount Juliet, we both might be uh, white males, but I vote Republican, you vote Democrat. And so, you know, we're different. Or... Um, you know, I support this political candidate, you support that political candidate, or I go to this church, you go to that church. Paul, and Paul, just reflecting on the words of Jesus, says, knock it off. You shouldn't be creating distinctions. And this is radical to us. Because it's like, well, then how do I know who my friends are? Right? I mean, if I can't, if I can't go by socioeconomic, political uh, categories, and you just play that out, right? Then how do I know who I should hang out with? Maybe that's the point. So this is the other quote I wanted to use, and I wasn't sure where to put it, but I think it'll fit right here. G.K. Chesterton. Has anybody ever heard that name, G.K. Chesterton? All right, if you haven't, Google them this afternoon. The Titans game is the early game. Afterwards, you can do that. Um, he, he wrote this. Christianity has not failed. It's just never been tried. <laughs> oh, gosh. Christianity hasn't failed. It's just never been tried. Oh, shut up. All right, so with all that being said, I believe that Jesus' most radical words are actually, the, are actually some of the ones we just read a few moments ago. They're the ones about love and forgiveness. To me, that's the most radical. And, and so where we picked up here, we're, in the, we're like kind of in the second part of a sermon that Jesus is giving. And in the first part of the sermon, he dealt with the assurance of God's blessing of the poor um, with whom the Christian community has closely identified. And so, I mean, that's one of those sermons, right, where you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, yes, absolutely, I'm on board 100%. God blesses the poor, we should bless the poor, we should bless the poor. Why? Because I'm poor. Absolutely. That's a good one. Then he switches. Then he switches gears, right? And in chapter uh, 6, verse 29 through 31, he begins to give examples and these, these, these examples, they don't concern the duty out of generous response to the destitute. He's not saying, look, and, and so because they're poor, you know, this is what you should do for them. But what he's actually arguing for is willing compliance to the requests of the one who is more powerful. So first he says, you know, that we, the, the blessings for the poor, da, da, da. And, those of you, and so you're sitting there and you're like, yes, yes, yes. Absolutely, bless us. And he says, and then, so then those of you that are poor, you need to willingly give over to the powerful. And you're like, wait, what? What are you saying? Verses 32 through 34, he takes time to expose the deficiency of an ethic that doesn't extend love beyond the circle of those who are already doing good to one another. 
So we've all rallied together because our common thing is we really like what Jesus is saying about blessing the poor. So we've all rallied together, and we're like, yeah, we're going to love each other. We're going to do this great thing. And then Jesus starts saying, well, now, wait a second. Look outside of your own group. And then in verse 36, let me put my glasses on and read that verse again for us. You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. So what he's saying is that, you know, a disciple's relationship to God is based on the axiom that the child is like the parent. That's the reason for the parent language that we read in the Bible. That's the reason that we call God Father is because of this this thing where if God is Father, then we are God's children, which means we should reflect Father. Right? So the character of God dictates that we practice a love that's not limited by others' responses to it. The imperative to love one's enemies, in here, like, it can have a range of meanings, can't it? Like, you, just, and it's kind of like our vision statement, I think. Like, it, can have a, you can have a, it can have a range of meanings for us. And we can come at that depending on what, what we're experiencing at the time and understand it differently. It, it just depends on the context. It can mean win over your opponent by kindness. That's not, a, that's not bad. Love your enemies. What I mean by that is kill them with kindness. You ever heard that one? Kill them with kindness? Yeah. Maybe win over your opponent with kindness is a better way. How about this one? You should take the moral high ground. Could mean that. Could mean take the moral high ground in this one. That's hard, yes, especially when someone is blasting away at you and your reputation, to step back and say, that's okay. Because what's our natural inclination? Is to say, oh yeah? Well, did you know? Da, da, da. I liked this one. I looked up. Shame your enemy by your superior goodness. And sometimes we take the moral high ground in order to try to do that, don't we? It's fine, I'm not going to say a thing. Look how bad they are. I mean, you know, I'm not, I don't wanna, I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying. <laughs> Deflect hostility or prevent further abuse by offering no resistance. That's a tough one because I think that we can, like, we can maybe deflect hostility, but the thought of that it somehow will prevent further abuse by offering no resistance is tough. Because that's a long, like you're playing the long game on that one, right? And how many of us are really willing to play the long game? I, I thought this was a good offering of what this particular passage might mean. Rise above pettiness. I think it's good because it allows me to view you as petty without saying it. 
<laughs> or how about this one? Demonstrate a Christ-like character as a Christian witness. That might be good. What if we did that? What if we said, look, if I'm going to tell you that I follow Jesus, I probably should behave like Jesus. These interpretations, right, that I'm sharing, that I've read, uh, they're neither exhaustive nor mutually exclusive. You might be doing one or two of those, or you may be doing something completely different. But they do suggest that there's a range of meanings that this command can have. Especially when taken individually, the exhortation in this section can be applied widely and virtually indiscriminately. And I think this is why I believe that these are the, like, the most radical words of Jesus. Because the, they, they address, they, they, they concern questions that we all face. You cannot escape, love your enemy, and forgive those who have wronged you. You can't escape that one. We try. We try to dance around what loving somebody means. Right? We do. I love you so much, I'm going to tell you what a jerk you are. Uh, or, or forgive them. I, I forgive you because one day you're going to get what's coming to you. But if we take Jesus seriously... Remember Stephen Saul's one time said, everything before the but is a lie. Do you remember that? You may not, you may not even know who Stephen Saul's is other than the guy that's on our prayer list right now. But Stephen Saul said that in a sermon one time, and I was like, wow, that's really, really good. But, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> so if we say, I forgive you, but, or sometimes we'll change that. I forgive you, and then we might, you know, however. No, it's the same thing, right? See, here's the thing. It's easy for those who don't have wealth to point out Jesus' words regarding money to the wealthy. It's very easy for, for, for those who don't have wealth to look at the wealthy and say, you know, Jesus talks about you. Or, or for us to get back with our friends that, I mean, maybe we're all in that same, so, that, that same economic group and we can look at the wealthy and we can judge the wealthy. That's very easy for us to do. Uh, we can take the words that Jesus has about power and the misuse of power and we can judge those who are in positions of power if we ourselves are not in positions of power. We can, if, if we're at the bottom of a hierarchy, it's really easy for us to point out Jesus' radical egalitarian views and feel like we're following Jesus. But we have to all, regardless of our wealth, power, or status, take to heart Jesus' words regarding love and forgiveness. All of us. And maybe, maybe then, maybe then, if we start taking that part seriously, no one will ever write, Christianity has not failed. It's just never been tried. Amen.